Y'all doing all right? Amen. Should I say it again? Y'all doing all right? I think it's a yes, no question. But anyways, y'all turn to Zechariah 2, 1 through 13. Now I'm carrying on from the last message that I preached on Zechariah 1. And the whole basis of that was building back the church. That was the name of it. This is supposed to be tale of two cities, but it's really Jerusalem versus Babylon. Because in the first message, uh, I talked about the first vision that he ended up having. But he first called them to repent. Remember, they just come back about 20 years earlier. They come back to Babylon. They were in slavery there. And so you have to read Zechariah in conjunction with Haggai, which is the little book right before it. And it's talking about why they have not rebuilt the temple. So there's a prophecy that comes in the second year of Darius. In Haggai 1.1, there's a prophecy that comes in the sixth month. And then in uh, 2.1 of Haggai, there's a prophecy that comes in the seventh month of that year. In Zechariah 1.1, a prophecy comes in the eighth month of that year. In Haggai 2.10, a prophecy comes in the ninth month of that year. In Zechariah 1.7, a prophecy comes in the eleventh month of that year. So we are in the same year. We're talking about trying to build back the temple. And they have not done that. They've decided to build houses for themselves, but not build back the house of God. And so they don't have a place of worship. So he's trying to tell them he wants them to repent. And he wants them to get it together and start worshiping him properly. He has already judged them. They've come back. And so Zechariah starts having these night visions. I'm going to read for you. 1 through 13 of chapter 2. Go ahead and stand if you're able. Y'all should be here by now. They should be there by now. And there's going to be a lot of scripture in this. I know I got the kids in the back. They've become much more proficient and efficient in turning the pages. So I expect them to be able to turn there quite quickly. But you guys too be a little bit challenging, but it'll be all right. He says this, I lifted up my eyes again. So we're still carrying on from the same visions that he was having uh, previously. He says, and looked and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. Then said I, whither, thou, whither goest thou? And he said unto me to measure Jerusalem, to see what is the breadth thereof, what is the length thereof. And behold, the angel that talked with me went forth, and another angel went out to meet him. And said unto him, Run, speak to this young man, saying, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls for the multitude of men and cattle therein. For I, saith the Lord, will be unto her a wall of fire round about, and will be the glory of the midst in her. Ho, ho, come forth and flee from the land of the north, saith the Lord. For I have spread you abroad as the four winds of the heaven, saith the Lord. Deliver thyself, O Zion, that dwellest with the daughter of Babylon. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, after the glory has he sent me unto the nations which spoiled you, for he has touched you, for he that has touched you has touched the apple of his eye. For behold, I will shake mine hand upon them, and they shall be a spoil to their servants, and ye shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for lo, I come, and I will dwell in the midst of thee, saith the Lord. And many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day, and shall be my people, and I will dwell in the midst of thee, and thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. And the Lord shall inherit Judah his portion in the Holy Land, and shall choose Jerusalem again. Be silent, O all flesh, before the Lord, for he is raised up out of his holy habitation. Father, thank you for this time that we have to worship you freely. Uh, to celebrate your word, to discuss the things that you revealed to us in your word. I pray that your Holy Spirit will fill this place, will fill me to give me power this morning. I pray that we'll be able to understand what you mean by fleeing out of Babylon, where we're supposed to build the temple that you've instructed us to build and how we're supposed to build it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Go ahead and sit down. All right. 
Now, when we read about this, he's telling them to rebuild the temple. Now he sees a man with a measuring line. Now, the measuring line does not mean that he's necessarily going to go out and get the measurements of it. We see that he, in fact, does not. There are no measurements given here. What the measuring line means in Scripture is that when God starts to measure over something, he is saying that it belongs to him. He's saying that now this is going to be mine. This is in relation to something that happens in Jeremiah 31 when he prophesies of the new um, covenant. He says that he's going to bring a measuring line over Jerusalem after this new covenant is established. I'm going to read it for you real quick. You can turn to Jeremiah 31 if you want. This is also quoted in uh, the book of Hebrews as well. Hebrews 8. Uh, But he starts saying that he's going to give them a new heart. He's going, I'm going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant I made with their fathers in the day that I took them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them. But this shall be a covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. So the new covenant is something that God is going to put a new heart into people. He's going to write the law of God upon their hearts. And this is in Hebrews 8. This was supposed to be uh, achieved, the new covenant, when Jesus Christ shed his blood on the cross of Calvary, rose again, ascended into heaven, and then sent the Holy Spirit. But this is what it says about um, what will happen in those days in verse 38 of the same chapter of Jeremiah 31. He said, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that the city shall be built to the Lord from the tower of Hananiel unto the gate of the corner, and the measuring line shall yet go forth over against it upon the hill of Gareb, and shall compass about to go at. So it's something that when the new covenant happens, there's going to be a certain amount of ownership that is taken, right? So what he's trying to say is, is that it matters where you're going to build your temple, not just the physical, literal location, which is supposed to be in Jerusalem, because that's the place where he chose to place his name, but also spiritually. And why this is unique here is because we don't have a historical example of Jerusalem being built without walls. This is the only prophecy and the description of Jerusalem that says that there will be no walls. What we have in this vision, he says, he talked with me and went forth in verse three. Another angel went out to meet him and said unto him, run, speak to this young man saying, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls because of the multitude of men and the cattle there. And it will be so blessed that there will be no walls. Christ says that he's going to be a wall of fire round about them. So we have to view this in a different way than we would view other places because there is no Jerusalem that doesn't have walls. Not just in, in, in history prior, even before Israel took over with King David, there were walls that Jebusites built. There were walls that King David built in the new kingdom to come. We know there are walls in Nehemiah. In the new kingdom to come in Ezekiel 43, 1 through 7, in Micah 7, 11 and 12, and in Zechariah 9, 10 and 10, 10, it says that this will be a day when the walls will be built of Jerusalem. We even know that in the new heaven and new earth, when the heavenly Jerusalem comes down, if we read in um, Revelation 21 and 22, there, there's a wall around that and the foundation of it has the 12 apostles written in it. So this is something specifically unique. It is something that is totally different that directs relately, it, it directly relates to the new covenant, right? That is what we are ultimately talking about here. And of course, the prophecies mesh together, right? So there's the prophecy of the new covenant that is to come. And there's the prophecy of the restoration of Israel happening all at the same time. But these people are already in Jerusalem. They're already living there. He's, it, later on, Nehemiah ends up building the walls. But 
He is saying there's going to come a time when I am going to come and I will build a wall of fire round about. That wall of fire is the Holy Spirit that came down at Pentecost. Right. That is the protection that he has given to the believers and the, the body of Christ. And so I want to talk about two aspects. One is going to be where we are to build our temple. The other one is going to be why we are to build it in that particular place. Right. Because this is how this works out when we read verses six through nine and verses 10 through 13. So this is point one. Point one is he demands of us. He commands us. And he says this in multiple places throughout the Bible from the beginning all the way to the end. We've read this in Revelation. In uh, what Revelation 18, one through seven, we are to flee from Babylon. Number one. Flee from Babylon. This is what he says when we read verses six through nine. It says, ho, ho, come forth and flee from the land of the north, saith the Lord, for I have spread you abroad as the four winds of the heaven, saith the Lord, deliver thyself, O Zion, that dwellest with the daughter of Babylon. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, after the glory, he has sent me unto the nations which spoiled you. For he that touches you touches the apple of his eye. For behold, I will shake my hand upon them and they shall be a spoil to their servants. And you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Now, remember, he's speaking to people who already live in Jerusalem. Right. This is a prophet who's living in Jerusalem, writing for the people who live in Jerusalem. And he's telling them that they are to flee from Babylon. And so we have to try and figure out what is this supposed to mean? They came back from Babylon 20 years earlier. They've already been back from Babylon. Right. So Babylon itself has already been judged. The Medo-Persian Empire already rules. Darius is the king at this point in time. This is the second year of his reign. Cyrus the Great uh, removed them. So there are three aspects of uh, three points in time where it tells us to remove themselves from Babylon. Uh, The first one is in Jeremiah 58 when he prophesies of the judgment of Babylon before they were taken into captivity. So 70 years prior to Babylon Uh, being destroyed and taken over by Cyrus the Great, Jeremiah prophesied that the people, the Jews who were going to be taken into captivity should flee from Babylon because there would be a judgment coming upon Babylon because Israel was only going to be there for 70 years. So that's the first one. The second one is spiritual Babylon. We are called to remove ourselves from spiritual Babylon. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6. I'm going to read 16 through 18. It says, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? He's talking about the temple of God being our body. And this is what this directly relates to what Zechariah is talking about, about building the temple. For ye are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them. Be ye separate, saith the Lord, touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you. So. We have a spiritual Babylon that we are supposed to separate ourselves from. We are called to remove ourselves from it because the Lord is going to dwell in the midst of us, which is what he says in verses 10 through 13 here. And we'll get to that. And then there's the third one, which is the removal from Babylon in the end times. So when we read Revelation 18, and I just mentioned it a minute ago, and we're doing this on um, Wednesday. So if you want to come on Wednesdays, either Wednesday morning or Wednesday night, we're coming up to the end of it. But it's actually been really great to, to go through. But this is what it says in Revelation 18, 4 through 6. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, that ye receive not of her plagues. For her sins have reached unto heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Reward her even as she rewarded you, and double unto her uh, double according to her works in the cup which she has filled with her double. So there are three points where we are supposed to flee from Babylon. Right. There are two literal points, the the one in the past, 
the one that's in the future in Revelation, and then there's the spiritual one that we are called to remove ourselves from. What Zechariah is talking about is there's a twofold aspect to it because they have just left Babylon. Right. So all three are kind of wrapped up into this. They've just left Babylon. He's telling them to spiritually remove themselves because the Lord is going to come and dwell in the midst of them, which we'll talk about what that means. And then there's going to be the one in the end times, which is also in view here. So we're dealing with this middle part. We're dealing with the spiritual one. We are living now in the church age and God commands us to build his temple in a particular chosen city. Right. If we are the temple of God, we are supposed to be built in a particular chosen city. Now, what does that necessarily mean? Because we can't choose where we live. We don't know where we're going to be born. We just happen to be where we are. But what your chosen city is, is where you pitch your tent. When I was a kid, my mom repeatedly said over and over, and she's a she's a very difficult individual. If you've ever met her, you don't know her well. She's very difficult. But she would repeatedly tell me over and over It matters where you pitch your tent. Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom. When Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom, even though a righteous man, his soul was vexed day and night. She would tell me all the time, it will matter where you pitch your tent. You need to understand what tent means here in the Bible. It means tabernacle or the place, ultimately what the temple is supposed to be. Right. It matters where we build our temple. And that's just our individuals where we just as individuals, where we decide who the people we decide to be around, the places we decide to go. It also matters how we build our church, who we connect ourselves with and what our actual mission is. Right. If we're trying to build a church where we're trying to make money and we're corporatizing it and we're trying to be connected to political parties and so on, we're ultimately going to fail because spiritually we're not, we don't have a set foundation, right? The things, that, the things of this world are temporal. They're going to fade away. And there are spiritual judgments that God has for people who set themselves up with earthly things. If you pitch your tent towards earthly things, you will ultimately be destroyed. I want you all to turn to Ezekiel 16. Sorry. This is, I think, uh, one of the most important chapters in the whole of the Old Testament because it explains the way that God judges cities spiritually. He was struggling with the state of Jerusalem at this point. We're going to read 44 through 52. This is really, really important into how we look at how cities are judged here. So in Ezekiel 16, 44 through 52, he's talking about Jerusalem and he's, he's weeping over Jerusalem. He's very upset He's been taken into captivity himself. So Ezekiel is a slave at this point. It says, behold, everyone that uses Proverbs shall use this proverb against thee. As is the mother, so is the daughter. He's speaking about Jerusalem. Thou art thy mother's daughter that loatheth her husband and her children. Thou art the sister of thy sisters, which loathed her husbands and their children. Your mother was a Hittite and your father was an Amorite. Speaking of Sarah and Abraham, it says thy elder sister is Samaria. She and her daughters that dwell at thy left hand and thy younger sister that dwelleth at thy right hand is Sodom and her daughters. Yet hast thou not walked after their ways, nor done after their abominations, but as it were a little thing that was corrupted more than they in all thy ways. As I live, saith the Lord God, Sodom thy sister has not done she nor her daughters as thou hast done of thou and thy daughters. Behold, this was the iniquity of thy, of thy sister Sodom. So we're going to see the spiritual state of what Sodom was. This is why they were destroyed according to the word of God. Sodom had pride, 
fullness of breath, abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. And they were haughty and committed abomination. And that was the sexual abomination they committed. Therefore, I took them away as I saw good. Now, why is that important? Because Jerusalem will be judged in this way later on. Um, The other part of this, the other city that I want you to look at is uh, Egypt. I want to go to Jeremiah 43. And you don't have to turn there, but I would say write it down. When we read Jeremiah 43, this is what he has to say about Egypt. So we're studying about Sodom and Egypt here. And he says this in uh, Jeremiah 43, 11 through 13. It says, when he comes, he's talking about Nebuchadnezzar. He's sending Babylon to Egypt. He says, when he comes, he shall smite the land of Egypt and deliver such as are for death to death and as such for captivity to captivity and such as are for the sword to the sword. I will kindle a fire in the house of the gods of Egypt. He shall burn them and carry them away captives, and he shall array himself with the land of Egypt. As a shepherd puts on his garment, he shall go forth from thence in peace. He shall break the images of Beth Shemesh that is in the land of Egypt, and the houses of the gods of the Egyptians shall be burned with fire. Now in Exodus 12, 12, the reason why he removed the Israelites out of Egypt was because he was judging their gods. And so the spiritual judgment of Sodom was that they were haughty. They had too much convenience. Right. That sounds familiar because of the convenience they had, because of the bread they had, they neglected the poor. And ultimately it led to them committing sexual abominations because they became so um, uh, content and happy with what they were doing, with what they had. They did. They lacked nothing. They then started to think they could do whatever they wanted. The spiritual sins of Egypt was that they had a multitude of false gods that led people astray, something that uh, Judah in particular And Israel could not get away from. Right. And why is that important? Because in the end times, this is what the book of Revelation says about the city of Jerusalem, the literal city of Jerusalem. And I think they're going through this right now in Revelation 11, 8. You can write this down. You don't have to turn there. It says, and their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city. We're talking about the two witnesses. They've been killed, which spiritually are called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. That is, the city of Jerusalem spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt. That is the state they're in. They are content. They are rich. They are wealthy. They are neglecting the poor. And they are worshiping false gods. That is what they're going to be in the end times. I think they're already in that at that point now. So what does that have to do with Babylon, though? The thing about Babylon is that from a spiritual point of view, Babylon is all encompassing. They encompass all of the world for some reason. Um, God decided to build up Babylon to the point where he himself calls them the golden head. If we read in Daniel 2, there was a prophecy uh, of statue that Nebuchadnezzar got to see. And he got to see gold, silver, bronze, and then the clay and uh, and the iron at the end of it. The golden head was Babylon. If we read Daniel 2, 36 through 38, in Isaiah 13, 19, it says, The glory of the kingdoms of the world is the city of Babylon. This is God saying what this is. This is the greatest city that has ever existed. But when we go to Isaiah 47, he describes their spiritual state and why he judges them. Because your spiritual state is why ultimately you will be judged. So if we go to Isaiah 47, 5 through 11, it says this. And you don't have to turn there, just write it down. Isaiah 47, 5 through 11. It says, Sit thou silent and get into darkness, O daughter of the Chaldeans. For thou shalt no more be called the lady of the kingdoms. 
I was wroth with my people. I have polluted mine inheritance and given them into thine hand. Thou didst show them no mercy upon the ancients. Hast thou verily laid thy yoke? And thou said, I shall be a lady forever. This is a quote from Revelation 18 as well. So that thou didst not lay these things to thy heart, neither didst remember the latter end of it. Therefore hear now this, that thou art given to pleasures, that dwelleth carelessly, that saith in thine heart, I am, and none else beside me. I shall not sit as a widow, neither shall I know the loss of children. But these two things shall come to thee in a moment in one day, the loss of children and widowhood. Their husband would be killed and their children would be removed. Uh, They shall come upon thee for these reasons, because they were in their perfection for the multitude of sorceries and the abundance of enchantments. Right now, this is the things that that we've talked about with the book of Revelation. What what enchantments mean? It's that Greek word pharma. Right. Which we're talking about drugs. Right. Uh, They also if we read Revelation 18, it says that they made the nations wealthy. They were a place of merchants. And so when we read um, Revelation 18, 1 through 7, it says, And after these things I saw another angel come down from heaven with great power, and earth was lightened with his glory. He cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon, the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit, and cage of every unclean and hateful bird, for all nations. Again, Babylon is all-encompassing. It's not something that deals with, with specific places. It's all-encompassing. All nations have drunk the wine of the wrath of her fornication, The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. The merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. So because of her enchantments and her sorceries, she was able to gain wisdom, great wisdom. She was able to be be perfect. She was able to have gold to stack it up. She was able to make the world rich. All of the kingdoms are underneath her. So I want to read for you Isaiah 48. And this is a... I do want you to turn here. Turn to Isaiah 48. This is a prophecy of the coming of the Messiah and what happens to the city of Jerusalem at his coming. I'm going to read Isaiah 48, 16 through 20. I'm only hearing a few pages turn. I should be hearing more. You should be flipping real unless you get there quick. But it says this. This is a prophecy about Jesus Christ coming. It says, come ye near unto me. Hear ye this. I have not spoken in secret from the beginning. From the time that it was, there am I. This is Jesus speaking. He says, and now the Lord God and his spirit has sent me. This is a prophecy about Jesus coming. Thus saith the Lord, thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord thy God, which teacheth thee to profit, which leadeth thee by the way that thou should go. And that thou hast hearkened to my commandments. Then had thy peace been as a river and thy righteousness as the waves of the sea. He's saying judgment is going to come upon them because they rejected their redeemer. So he says, thy seed has also been as the sand and the offspring of thy bowels like the gravel thereof. His name should not have been cut off nor destroyed from before me. This is the prophecy. Go ye forth of Babylon. Free, flee from the Chaldeans with a voice of singing. Declare ye, tell this, utter it even to the ends of the earth. Say ye, the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. So even Jerusalem in the days of Christ are compared to Babylon. They rejected their redeemer because of this Babylonian system of wealth and power that they wanted to cling to very, very tightly. And so it's this all pervasive worldwide system that infects everything. And I think that we know that it infects us today. 
It affects everything we do. Everything we do is based on money. Everything we do is based on the way that we look. We want to impress people for particular types of ways, things like social media and so on and so forth. We know that we have issues with uh, substance abuse. We have all sorts of societal ills. We have issues with injustice. All of these problems are happening and they're, happening, they're multiplying and they're getting bigger and bigger and bigger. God tells us that we are not to be part of that. The church is supposed to flee from Babylon because when you don't flee from Babylon, you end up leaving the one who redeemed you in the first place. If you start to pitch your tent in a way away from Jerusalem in another place, God will destroy you. He destroyed Sodom. He destroyed Egypt through Nebuchadnezzar. He destroyed Samaria through Assyria. He destroyed Jerusalem through Babylon. He destroyed Jerusalem through Rome. Any time that you start to neglect the temple of God and build it in the wrong city, when you start to pitch the tabernacle towards the wrong city, he will burn it with fire. Every single time he burns it with fire. Even the tabernacle at Shiloh was burned with fire when they fell away from God in the book of Judges. Every single time he burns it with fire. Judgment will come upon you. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 3 and I do want you to turn there. This is what he has to say about the temple of God. Um, yeah. 1 Corinthians three sixteen and 17. This is what he says about the temple of God and what is going to happen to the temple of God if it's misused. Uh, some of you are almost there. But it's 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. He says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. If any man defiles the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Any time that the temple of God was misused in any way in Jerusalem or the tabernacle of God was misused in any way, all of those temples and tabernacles were destroyed. He put them away. The minute that Solomon started building false temples in Jerusalem, even though the right worship was going on in the tabernacle, when he started defiling the land, it led to false worship in the te- temple eventually. Any time that we join ourselves to the world, to the Babylonian system around us, we start to slowly defile the church. Any time we start to put our bodies in places that would be not glorifying to God, we start pitching our tent towards Sodom, so to speak, God will eventually destroy our tabernacle, our temple. He will destroy your body. He will destroy the place where you work. He will destroy your family. He will destroy your church. That will happen if we don't flee from Babylon. So what he's trying to tell Jerusalem here is you've already built your temple once and I had to burn it to the ground and I had to burn all of your city and I had to take you into captivity. Now, that's, this is what he does. And we'll talk about what dwelling in the midst of you means. He sent them to the place where they joined themselves to. When he burned down their temple, he set them to Babylon because that's what they had joined themselves. They had, Jerusalem had become the city of Babylon. And so he sent them to there. That's where they wanted to go. He said, if that's where you want to go, then go ahead and go. He burned them down. So he burns all of these places down and he does it through a shaking. Every time that God wants to judge, he does it in what's called a shaking. So when we turn to Haggai, and like I said, Zechariah and Haggai are linked. If we read Haggai 2.5, he says this, according to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, 
so my spirit remains among you, fear ye not. So there's a reference to Egypt when he took them out. It says he shook the earth at that time. He shook the earth by giving them the law. He said, for thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once it is a little while and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations and the desire of all nations shall come and I will fill this house, speaking of the temple of his body, with the glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. And you say, well, what does that have to do with the church? What, what does it mean? Well, this is what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, 25 through 29. He says, See that ye refuse not him that speaketh. He's speaking about Moses here. He says, Don't refuse him that speaketh. For if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, speaking of Moses, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaks from heaven, speaking of Jesus. That is, there is a greater judgment to come upon those who reject Christ than it was who rejected Moses. This is the quote then he uses from Haggai 2.5. Whose voice then shook the earth, Moses, but now he has promised saying, yet once more I shake not the earth, but also heaven. And this world yet once more signifying the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things which are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore we receive a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. He will consume you in shaking you up. He will consume you away. And this is what he did when they joined themselves to Babylon. He burned them down and he did it with all of the cities. And he will do that with us. And not, I'm not just talking about the specific church, right? I'm not saying the church is going to go up in flames, although it may, you know, whatever God wills. But the nation that you live in, he'll take that away. Whatever you have. Babylon had a lot more than we do. We think we have great freedoms. We're amazing things. God himself said the city of Babylon was the place of gold. It was the head of gold. It was the lady of all kingdoms. There's no other place that's described as that. Right? He took them away. What are they now? It's, it's, a, it's a desert. It's a barren field. People try and rebuild it. They can't do it. It's going to be judged once and for all in the end times. But it was done away with. It's no more. That can happen to us. Maybe that's happening right now. I don't know. But that can happen to the church. Right. The church, the lampstand can be removed from where we're at. He tells this to the people in Ephesus in Revelation one. He can remove you or Revelation two rather. So the first thing is, where do we build our our temple in Jerusalem or Babylon? So flee from Babylon's number one. Number two, he tells us why we are to flee from Babylon. If we read verses 10 through 13, it says, sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for lo, I come. I will dwell in the midst of thee, saith the Lord. Many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day and shall be my people. And I will dwell in the midst of thee and thou shalt know the Lord of hosts has sent me. And the Lord shall inherit Judah, his portion in the Holy Land and choose Jerusalem again. Be silent, O all flesh, before the Lord, for he is raised up out of his holy habitation. So number two, the reason why we build it in Jerusalem is because that is where the Lord has chosen to dwell. We are called to seek out the place of the habitation of the Lord, but he has already chosen it for himself. We have to go where he is, right? He revealed himself in coming down to earth, but now there is a command that we repent, right? God doesn't change for us. We have to go to his place. So I want you to go to Deuteronomy 12. This is key 
to understanding this because this is a very ancient ideal because we don't talk about God's dwelling in particular places anymore. When we talk about God, we think about him being spirit and we don't worship on particular mountains. But when you turn to Deuteronomy 12, I'm going to read uh, probably 5 through 11 or so. Uh, He was talking about the way that the Israelites worshipped. They worshipped on high places and they worshipped through all sorts of different types of sacrifices. But he says in verse 4, you shall not do so unto the Lord your God. He says, but unto the place which the Lord your God shall choose out of all your tribes to put his name there, even unto his habitation, shall ye seek. They are called to seek out the place of his habitation, even though he's the one who would choose where it would be. And thither thou shalt come, and thither ye shall bring your burnt offerings, sacrifices, tithes, heave offerings of hands, and your vows, your freewill offerings, and the firstlings of your herds and your flocks. And there ye shall eat before the Lord your God, and ye shall rejoice in all that ye put your hand unto, you and your households, wherein the Lord thy God has blessed thee. Ye shall not do after the things that we do here this day. Speaking about what they were doing in the wilderness and what they did in Egypt. Every man whatsoever is right in his own eyes. You're not supposed to do that anymore. You are called to serve in a particular place at a particular time and in a particular way. That is why the church was established. He says, for you are not as yet come to the rest and to the inheritance which the Lord your God gives you. But when you go over Jordan, dwell in the land which the Lord your God gives you to inherit. When he gives you rest from your enemies round about so you dwell safely, then there shall be a place which the Lord your God shall choose to cause his name to dwell there. When someone's name dwelt there. In the old times, that means that was their inheritance. Now, we've, I've already talked about the whole point of bringing the measuring line over. The reason the measuring line over was because they were saying that they owned that place. Right? So when we read in places like Revelation 11, he says, get the measuring line out, the angel. And he starts measuring the part of the temple. He says, but don't measure the bit where, that we'll give to the Gentiles. For 42 months, the Gentiles will be there because he was saying, that's not going to belong to me just yet. So the measuring line goes out to the places he belongs. The places he belongs is where he decides to place his name. And he decided to do that in Jerusalem. Now, there is a heavenly Jerusalem. And we are supposed to be citizens of that heavenly Jerusalem. If you are saved, you are not a citizen of a place on earth. You are a citizen of a place in heaven. But there is a double portion to your inheritance. The meek inherit the earth, right? But we also inherit heaven as well. Because where does God dwell? God dwells in heaven, but he also came and he dwelt on earth. He became flesh and he dwelt among men, but they rejected him. They did not know it was him. So he's ascended up again. So our inheritance is the new heaven and the new earth. That is our double portion. Right. So where God dwells is the place where our inheritance is. So what does it mean then if we start building or pitching our tent towards Sodom, towards Babylon, towards Egypt? It means that the promises of the inheritance we won't we won't enjoy. What happened to Israel or Judah, Israel too, the northern kingdom, when they were sent away, they had to dwell in Babylon. Could they worship at the temple? Somebody didn't like me talking. Could they worship at the temple? No, they couldn't. The temple was destroyed. They still prayed towards Jerusalem. They looked at Jerusalem. What happened with the boys when when they refused to bow down? They were put in a fiery furnace. Right. That was the life they had to live. They they were rejected by the rest of the world. They could not live in the place where they were supposed to freely worship God because God took that away from them because they rejected it. I'm telling you now there will be churches in places like China and Afghanistan that will last a lot longer than churches that are here in America today because they're not allowed to go and worship. But they show up anyways. 
They're under threat, but they show up anyways to worship. We can worship and we can't bother to show up on Sunday morning. And we can't bother to show up on Sunday night. And we can't bother to show up on Wednesdays. And we can't bother to do visitation. And we can't bother uh, to, to witness to other people. God will remove that from us. He will take it away from us because there's no point in us having it. If you don't use the things of the inheritance, if you, you cannot enjoy the fruits of the land. So when they rejected the land, they didn't give the land the rest that it was supposed to have according to the sabbatical year. He said, you can't be in my land anymore. It's my inheritance. It's God's inheritance because this is the place that I've decided to dwell. Right. God has given us many great blessings and he's decided to dwell with us, not in a specific land, but within us. In John 14, I think it's 25. um, He says, the father and I will come and we will make our abode with you. I will send you the spirit of truth. And, and, and Judas, not Iscariot, asked, you know, how will, how will you be manifest to us, but not to the rest of the world? Because he's dwelling within us. So if he dwells within us and we start pitching our tent into other places, right? God is not going to go into those other places. There's a part where uh, Saul starts, he starts chasing David out, King Saul. He starts chasing David out of Israel. And, and, and David gets very upset. He says, you want me to start worshiping other gods. And people find that a strange statement. But the, the reason why was because the reason why the gods dwelt in particular areas is because the gods of whatever nation you lived in determined what your inheritance was. You worship them based on what your inheritance would be. Right. Part of the inheritance the, is, is a heavenly inheritance that we are taking from Jesus Christ because he's become the first fruits of the dead. He has risen. He became flesh. So we inherit all the things he inherits because he is the firstborn of all creation, according to uh, Colossians 1, 15 and 16. So if we start going into other places, he's not going to let us enjoy the fruits of the inheritance. There are spiritual blessings that we receive even now. Right. That, that, that lost people don't have their their spiritual revelations that we are given, according to first Corinthians two. God will remove all of that. He will place a blindness over this. He did this to the people of Israel. He blinded them judicially. They're not blinded because he randomly decided, I just don't want you to believe anymore. They're blinded because of their sin. They're blinded because they reject the city that he placed his name in. They're blinded because they uh, neglected his temple, and he will do that to us. He dwells in the midst of us. Now, if we turn to Isaiah 53, when it talks about receiving his portion, this is one of the most famous verses. Most people know Isaiah 53. This is what he says in 11 and 12. This is the reason why we receive an inheritance, right? This is the reason why Judah, why he will ultimately get his portion. It says, he shall see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Because he bears our iniquities, therefore will I divide him a portion with the great. He shall divide the spoil with the strong because he has poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors and he bared the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. So the reason why Christ took his, his portion in Judah as the king, uh, as, as a son of David, is because he poured his soul out to death for us. So... We are now supposed to enjoy the fruits of the inheritance that he has given us even now, the spiritual blessings. But if we start neglecting those, he's going to remove us. He's going to destroy us. He gave his life to die for us so that we could now live for him and be ambassadors for God. And there are people in other places who are doing things that put themselves in jeopardy to be witnesses for God. 
And there are people such as ourselves who cannot be bothered with it. We've become content. We've become idle. We've become full of bread or meat or whatever else, your crab legs, whatever we eat. Sweet tea. We have too much of it, right? And it leads then to laxity in sin. We start slowly, slowly building away. In Deuteronomy 32, 5, what is supposed to be the portion of God? It says it's his people. It's not a land. His, his inheritance is Israel, but his portion is his people. We are citizens of the heavenly Jerusalem. The portion of God is his people. We are it, right? We are in his body. We are set to take on the whole of the inheritance of both heaven and earth. And I want to read for you what the inheritance of Babylon is supposed to be because it is also a double portion. Now, according to Deuteronomy 21, 17, it says that the portion of the firstborn is double. You're supposed to get double. So Joseph, for instance, was Jacob's favorite. He was the firstborn of Rachel. He received double. But in reality, the firstborn of Leah ended up Judah. So he received the spiritual double portion with Christ. This is what happens to the unspiritual or the evil double portion. He says in Revelation 18, 4 through 6, I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins, that you receive not her plagues. Now understand what this says here. If you stay in Babylon, you are partakers of her sins as well. If you notice, Lot lost his wife. He ended up committing abominations with his daughters as well, or his daughters committed abominations with him. Right? That's how Ammon and Moab came to be. You start partaking in the sins of the places where you end up pitching your tent. If you stay in Babylon, you will be partakers of their sins eventually. Even if you don't want to do it, you will be vexed day and night. You will end up doing it. It says, for her sins have reached unto heaven and God has remembered her iniquities. Remember her even as she rewarded you and double unto her double according to her works in the cup which she has filled to her double. So there is a double portion for the wicked as well. There's a double portion for the righteous. There's a double portion for the wicked. Right. So it matters where we build our temple and it matters why we build it there, because the Lord has decided this is the place where I would be. There is a God is often referred to or Jesus is referred to as a rock. Right. Everything that that goes up against that rock will bounce off. It will break off of it. Right. we, We can't build another foundation other than Christ. That's what Paul says. In 1 Corinthians 3, if we continually join ourselves to the things of this world, he will judge us. He will remove us. We ought to come in repentance. Remember how we're supposed to build our temple back. If we want to build up our church back again, we want we start with the individual. Right. The personal piety and behavior of the individual builds then the body up with the rest of the church. So I call on you this morning, if you need to, come down and repent. If you are not saved, if you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior, I implore you to come today because the day is at hand. This is the day that the Lord has spoken to us. This is the day that He's given to us. If you have something that's laid upon your heart with regards to the church, share it with us. We have time. We're not going anywhere, right? Right? (laughs) Nobody's going anywhere, right? So we have time, right? Remember where we're supposed to build our temple because there is a spiritual battle. There's a spiritual battle between the world and 
the, the, and God, ultimately, we could say the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of God. There's a spiritual battle between Jerusalem and Babylon. Hold on. Let me read this for you real fast. I'm going to read Isaiah 14. Stuff comes into the mind sometimes real quick, and you just got to say it before it goes away. Right? Um, should I say it? It's a, uh, maybe I shouldn't say it. Well, it says, For the Lord will have mercy on Jacob, and will yet choose Israel and set them in their own land, and the stranger shall be joined with them, and they shall cleave to the house of Jacob. We are those people, by the way. And the people shall take them and bring them to their place, and the house of Israel shall possess them in the land for the Lord, for servants and handmaids, and they shall take them captives, whose captives they were, and they shall rule over their oppressors. That thou shalt take up this proverb against the king of Babylon. How hath the oppressor ceased? The golden city has ceased. The Lord has broken the staff of the wicked and the scepter of the rulers. He smote the people in wrath with a continual stroke. He ruled the nations in anger, is persecuted, and none will hinder him. The whole earth is at rest and is quiet. They break forth into singing. There will be a judgment upon Babylon one day. A serious, serious judgment. Let's make sure that we are not there. Right? Both spiritually and physically. If you're not saved... You're going to be in that Babylon that's coming towards the end. If you are saved and we're still joined to that place spiritually, there's going to be a serious judgment coming, come down upon those people. God is going to break them to the point where the whole earth will be quiet because he has roused himself from his holy habitation. So I'm going to call Brother Billy up here to sing for you. I want you to come down and think about how we're going to build back our church, how we're going to build back each other individually, right? Where are we pitching our tent? Right? The battle between Jerusalem and Babylon is going on right now. Where are we building our temple? Father, thank you for this message that you've given us. Thank you for all these uh, the various scriptures that we have all throughout the Bible describing these issues between Jerusalem and Babylon. I pray that we take heed to it, that we take your judgment seriously, that we understand that you mean business when you describe these judgments and I pray that um, the whole of the, of the, not just where we are, but all of the churches all around worldwide will understand the spiritual battle that's going on right now. And I thank you for the, uh, this opportunity to be able to preach this message. I pray that this will touch the hearts of those who've heard it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.